It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I was not going to extend this forever war. And I was not extending a forever exit. Afghanistan has always been known as the graveyard of empires. Four successive U.S. presidents tried to pull all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. Three presidents were talked out of it. On February 29, 2020, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, at President Trump's direction, signs a peace deal with the Taliban in Doha, Qatar, which begins the eventual U.S. withdrawal. Today we have taken a decisive step toward peace. Real peace in Afghanistan. Defense Secretary Mark Esper is fired just days after the 2020 election after sending a letter to President Trump outlining the dangers of a full withdrawal. Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller is Trump's final defense secretary. We will implement President Trump's orders to continue our repositioning of forces by January 15, 2021. Our forces, their size in Afghanistan will be 2,000. 500 troops. President Biden then must decide whether to continue. All of his national security advisors advise against pulling all U.S. troops out. April 14, 2021, President Joe Biden announces U.S. forces will withdraw unconditionally by September 11th. I'm now the fourth United States president to preside over American troop presence in Afghanistan. I will not pass this responsibility onto a fifth. July 2nd, 2021, U.S. troops pull out of Bagram Air Base 40 miles north of Kabul, leaving in the middle of the night, surprising Afghan partners and leaving thousands of Taliban and ISIS prisoners unguarded. August 15th, 2021, the Afghan government collapses. The Taliban take Kabul and take over the presidential palace hours after President Ghani flees the country. The U.S. Embassy, one of the largest in the world, is shuttered. Scenes of desperation at Kabul airport ensue. U.S. troops are sent to secure the airport and become the largest evacuation of civilians ever carried out by the U.S. military. 100,000 people are evacuated by August 25th as a sea of Afghans press into the airport, in some cases tossing their babies over the barbed wire walls. August 26, 2021, 13 U.S. service members, 11 Marines, a soldier and a Navy corpsman are killed by a suicide bomber. Four days later, the last U.S. soldier, then Major General C.D. Donahue of the 82nd Airborne, boards the last C-17 military aircraft as it leaves Kabul. August 30, 2021, the United States completed its withdrawal from Afghanistan ahead of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 with the hopes of ending America's longest war. Okay, that was Jennifer Griffin of Fox News, and this is a year ago today that that horrible horrible, disgraceful withdrawal from Afghanistan took place. Uh, and so we all know what happened, and 
Jennifer, of course, through the years I've used to know Jennifer, Jennifer uh, is much, uh, right now, has become sort of a Pentagon advocate. She's sort of aligned herself. She's been there so many years. So I have a difference of opinion with her on a few of these things. I think when President Trump was negotiating with the Taliban, we were all kind of like, what? Uh, but now we see what he was doing was trying to negotiate for a gradual withdrawal uh, and keep them in check. And he certainly wasn't going to shut down Bagram Air Force Base, which is why all of the the um, al-Qaeda prisoners were held and why they got out and were able to kill 13 Marines. It was complete chaos. Instead, Joe Biden decided to just withdraw everyone immediately without any kind of preparation. And that meant Bagram was just a, all the troops, just the people overseeing the prison in Bagram were removed. And it created terrible, terrible situation on the ground. It was such a disgrace. And that happened a year ago today. Uh, I want to say that recently this week, one of the Marines that was killed on that day, Marine Kareem Nakui, um, he was one of the ones. And they, the parents are claiming that he was actually shot and not killed by that bomb. Uh, I don't know what the truth is on that, but this is the, the sad update on this. At um, Marine Kareem Nakui's uh, funeral, his older brother, Dakota Halverson, killed himself at the memorial service. He was 28 years old. He killed himself. So that means the mother, who's the mother of both of them, uh, her husband, uh, current husband, is the father of uh, Kareem Nikui, uh, that, which is their mutual son. The older son, 28 years old, uh, died on August the 9th. Uh, Mike Waltz has tweeted about that. He says the older brother of one of the 13 killed in action in Kabul recently killed himself at his little brother's memorial. Please pray for this family. There must be accountability for this continued carnage. And I completely agree. And by the way, um, today I'm going to re-air the interview that I did with Lieutenant uh, Colonel Stu Scheller. He's the one that resigned in Afghanistan uh, because he was so beside himself with what he saw happening. When he saw his commanding officers just uh, making political decisions and deserting the troops, he was just so dis- upset, and he was in, ended up going to jail because he spoke out against leadership in the military, and I had a chance to spend time with him at CPAC, and I want you to hear that interview. He's going to recount his view of what happened on that day. We'll do that in the last segment today. Um, in regard to the you know, raid on Mar-a-Lago, I covered that a lot last week, and of course there are new, inf- new, new information, but what I missed last week, because there was so much coming out, was what happened to Congressman Scott Perry, who is a friend of this show. Scott Perry is the head of Freedom Caucus. They are my heroes in the House, I'm telling you. And Scott Perry is from um, Pennsylvania. They have attacked him in every possible way. And what happened to him? Well, while we were talking about Mar-a-Lago, uh, the day after, it was the day after the day before, day after, uh, the uh, invasion of Mar-a-Lago, uh, they came to Scott Perry. He was on vacation with his family, and they took his cell phone. Now, look, I'll let him tell the story because he, he was on with Maria Bartiromo yesterday. Let's listen. Scott Perry. Last week, a day after the raid on the president's home, uh, FBI agents showed up when I was traveling with my family, my wife and our, our two small children, my in-laws, extended family, showed up and demanded uh, my cell phone. They said they were going to image it. They were not going to search it. And uh, and then they eventually did return it. But, Maria, what I think this is about is uh, intimidating anyone who refuses to bend the knee to the narrative. And uh, and and I don't know exactly what your questions are going to be, but uh, there's been no accountability. James Comey, the director of the FBI, 
used uh, classified information improperly to get a, a second special counsel. No, no, no accountability for that. Uh, the uh, chairman of the Intel Committee changed the president's speech and entered it into the record, created a, 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 an impeachment trial. Again, no accountability. You name it across the board, whether it's John Eastman, whether it's Scott Perry, whether it's President Trump, and with uh, passing a bill that will pay for hiring of 87,000 IRS agents, tyranny is going to come right into everyone's living room very, very shortly. They said, do you have any questions? I said, yes. How, do you, how did you find me? Of course, I already know the answer, but I wanted them to admit it. And the gentleman, uh, uh, the agent, had a smirk on his face. He said, that's what we do. But Maria, when I asked them to return the phone by contacting my chief of staff instead of bothering my family, um, they, didn't, they didn't honor that. They said they would. They didn't do that. And then when I asked him why he couldn't honor his commitment, he said, we couldn't find her. Yeah, so that's just a little bit of the story. I mean, uh, he was on vacation with his family, his two small children, uh, also his uh, parent, his in-laws, and they, he, the three agents came up and demanded his phone. Now, why would they do that, and how? What right do they have to do that? You know, the Congress is over the FBI. Uh, this is a conflict of interest, and you have to understand the Freedom Caucus are the greatest enemies to the administration in the Congress. Because they're fearless. They, Scott Perry, for instance, has called for the impeachment of Merrick Garland. Is that why the FBI came and asked for his phone? Demanded his phone, didn't ask for it, politely demanded his phone. Um, and it has to be pointed out, in fact, Congressman Massey from Kentucky has pointed this out, the Freedom Caucus, uh, by taking Scott Perry's phone, they have access to everything the Freedom Caucus is saying and thinking and all they're working about, working with together. Uh, this is this is insidious. This is as insidious as the raid on Mar-a-Lago. This is an attack by the FBI and the Justice Department on members of Congress who are their opponents. And so that's what happened while we were looking the other way, watching Mar-a-Lago, which was terrible, still is, remains terrible. Uh, but meanwhile, back in the Congress, uh, you have to see why uh, the corruption is so very deep that Inflation Reduction Act, that Inflation Reduction Act, the one that's going to authorize 87,000 uh, IRS agents to be armed, um, yeah, to kind of come and visit us because they have our best interests at heart. Yeah, that one. Uh, well, the House just passed it uh, on Saturday. Nancy Pelosi was just giddy, and I wanted you to hear what she said. It's just so profound. I wouldn't want you to miss it. Clip five. How can they vote against the planet? Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets angry from time to time, and uh, this legislation will help us address all of that. Oh, wow. They were so happy. You should see them. They're just like like salivating. It's so many millions of dollars for them. By the way, did I say uh, that when Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan last week, that brave Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, so bold, you know, so concerned and just standing up to China— uh, she took her son, who was not listed on the manifest. They went out of their way not to mention he was on the manifest, who had business dealings in Taiwan, dealing with what? Tech, all kinds of stuff, millions and billions, of, I don't know if billions, I don't know, millions at least, of dollars of business he's doing in Taiwan. He was on the plane with Nancy Pelosi. So, uh, But I just didn't want you to get confused and think that perhaps she had some pure motive in going to Taiwan. And then, of course, she came back from Taiwan, and right, right away she said, we played this last week, that China was the freest country in the world. So free. People are so free in China. 
that must have been the, been the thing that she agreed to do in order for them not to bomb her plane. I don't know, but um, that's the way we are. Wait, it isn't. This is also under Nancy. What they've done in the house is now because of COVID. Oh, you know, COVID can't be there in person, so they vote by proxy. They don't even have to show up to vote. And I'll let you know, I'll let you see what this sounds like. This is Congressman Byer of Virginia voting for like 10 people, 10 other members, and there's another one who voted for 10 more, but I'll just let you listen to Congressman Byer, clip seven. For what purpose does the gentleman from Virginia seek recognition? Madam Speaker, as the member is said by Mr. Barra of California, Mr. Harder of California, Ms. Bonamici of Oregon, Mr. Sherman of California, Ms. Moore of Wisconsin. Mr. Connolly of Virginia, Mr. McEachin of Virginia, Mr. Trone of Maryland, Mr. Cohen of Tennessee, and Mr. Huffman of California. And for in the house of these 10 members will vote yes on the motion to concur. All right. So, so they couldn't bother to be there on the vote on this millions of dollars, this billion dollars of bills, which is going to, I, we'll have to get into the details of this later. We've talked about it. It's uh, tons of money for electric cars. It is just and it's, of course, tons of money for um, IRS agents to, you know, come out and get your money in order to pay for the things that they want, which will destroy the economy and increase inflation. Um, so the Inflation Reduction Act will now go to Joe Biden to be signed, and they are pretty happy about that. There's so much more to tell you. I was going to play this clip by Morgan Ortega. Uh, she was with the, the uh, Trump. Um, uh, she worked in intelligence, and now I can't remember her title. But uh, she was telling, you know, Salman Rushdie. You probably don't know who that is, but let me just tell you, he's an Iranian intellectual. He wrote a, um, years ago, like in the eighties. He both wrote this book called the Satanic Version uh, Verses about Muhammad's vision. Uh, that's what they it is called. Muhammad. If you read anything about his life, you know he had. He was a pedophile. He had a 13-year-old child bride, uh, and it's a pretty wretched story, and Salman Rushdie uh, exposed that in the Satanic Verses, which was Muhammad, one of his visions from, you know, Allah. It's just an amazing story. It's just so perverted. It really is. Well, Salman Rushdie has been under death threat for all these years, and they tried to assassinate him. Snape, Snape. (laughs) I'm trying to hurry. Assassinate him. Uh, They tried recently, what, last week, and they stabbed him. Um, this is an Iranian operative. The Iranians have a fatwa out on him, plus a bounty. They also have a fatwa out on John Bolton, and they have one out on uh, Mike Pompeo. And yet, the Biden administration continues to negotiate to offer the release relief of sanctions, often offer millions of dollars uh, to Iran. They're negotiating. They don't care that the Iranians are planning. We know this, to kill Mike Pompeo. Uh, and uh, and John Bolton. No concern for that. This is the world upside down. Sandy Rios in the morning. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. 
1813. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jay Anth planted a church in a village with no Christians, and today more than half of that village follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice, his wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering. They're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleless persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Nicole Ravive is the official singer of the national anthem for the New York Islanders. The other day, she had taken up her appointed spot on the ice and began singing the Star Spangled Banner. But by the time she got to the dawn's early light, something magical happened. The entire arena erupted in song. Nicole lowered her microphone and led the giant choir of hockey fans from Brooklyn and Massapequa through the rocket's red glare and bombs bursting in air, writing on Twitter that her heart was full commending the best backup singers in the National Hockey League. For the past year, we've been told by the media and the Democrats that we are a divided nation, that we should be ashamed of our heritage, who we are. But the other night, Nicole Revive and the New York Islanders reminded us that no matter our skin color or how much money we have in the bank, we are still Americans, one nation under God. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, the, the left banks on getting away with their abuse of power because of a feckless GOP and Republican establishment is more than happy to oblige them. I was stunned. I found it repulsive. That Republican Senate leadership couldn't be bothered to say anything about the thuggish FBI raid on a Republican president on Tuesday. Mitch McConnell wanted to talk about flood relief. John Thune was tweeting from, from a state fair. John Cornyn wanted to talk about Ukraine. Tim Scott and Little Linz wanted to talk, oh, we should trust and let the process play out. Are you kidding me? A process in which a DOJ and an FBI took a conspiracy-laden dossier formulated by the Democratic Party to secure four FISA warrants to spy on the duly elected president of the United States. You mean that process? Anyone insane enough to say that is unfit for office in these times, Jesse. I'm convinced that that demented weasel, Merrick Garland, (laughs) is going to try and get Donald Trump indicted by a rigged D.C. jury before the midterms. In these times, we don't need strongly worded letters. We don't need worthless oversight hearings. We need defund, dismantle, and people need to go to jail. The reason that they keep on getting away with this 
It's because nobody has consequences. Nobody, nobody went to jail for the abuse of the Russian collusion conspiracy Spygate stuff. Because nobody went to jail, there were no consequences. They're going to continue to do this until we actually forcefully confront them and say we're going to dismantle the FBI and people will go to jail for their abuse of power. We're going to continue to see more of the same. We actually need real Republican leadership, and we have not seen any of it so far. All right, that was Ned Ryan uh, with Jesse Waters on Fox yesterday. And, uh, you know, I agree with him. I agree with him. And I don't know when a primary has ever been more important, and that's why I'm trying to get you to pay attention uh, my husband and I pre-voted um, yeah, Saturday, actually. We went through the ballot, did lots of research, and went in with our marked sample ballot. And I encourage you to do the very same thing. Tomorrow is the primary in South Dakota. And by the way, the, many of the states, you know, the, the networks cover New York. They cover the East Coast. They cover the, you know, some of the uh, other states that are more in the news. But when it comes to the inside states like Kansas— uh, some of you who are from Kansas who listen had to alert me to things happening in Kansas. Same with same thing with South Dakota tomorrow. I don't know much about it, so listeners from South Dakota, let me. Can you give me some insight? It's Sandy at AFR.net, and I promise we'll talk about it tomorrow. Sandy at AFR.net. Meanwhile, in Wyoming, uh, it's uh, you know the race of the century where Liz Cheney um, running for Congress again, and many Democrats in Wyoming are crossing over. They can do that in the in the primary. Uh, to vote for Liz Cheney. So that's going to be very interesting. She is, a, I think Harriet Hegman, is, who is her opponent, is 70, 70% ahead of her in the polls. Uh, but if enough Democrats cross over, that could change. So we'll, all eyes are on Wyoming and South Dakota tomorrow. And next week on Tuesday are the primaries for Florida and Oklahoma. Florida and Oklahoma. All right, so we need to go to Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, I can't, same thing, I'm trying to talk too much today. Oklahoma. Many of you listen from Oklahoma, and by the way, my did I ever tell you, my grandparents went to Oklahoma on a covered wagon to settle the territory, so I know a little bit about that state. And so this morning, in District 2, Josh Burkeen is running for a, a seat in that district. I've had lots of people tell me what a fine uh, person he is, and so I've asked him to join us this morning. Josh, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Sandy. Thank you for having us on to talk about this congressional race in eastern Oklahoma. Is is this uh, Muskogee? Where, where's uh, oh, where's uh, District 2? Y- yes, ma'am. It is inclusive of Muskogee, but um, the best way to describe um, the the geographic area is if you draw a straight line uh, south out of Kansas to Tulsa, skirt around the east side of Tulsa, uh, pull that line right underneath Tulsa, then go directly south of Tulsa to uh, Texas. I just drew an imaginary line. It's everything east of that line I just kind of mentally drew. It's okay. the one-third geographic area of eastern Oklahoma. It's uh, We have five Congress uh, members of Congress in Oklahoma, but this is you know basically one-third of the geographic area because Oklahoma City wow. and Tulsa you know, wow. populations have their own oh, congressional sure. seat. Yeah. Well, let me tell them a little bit about you. You have your bachelor's in agricultural communications and animal science from Oklahoma State, the Cowboys. And uh, you own a <laughs> you own a quarter horse breeding operation. Now that's interesting, Josh. Do you still do that? Uh, I am down to one broodmare. I've gotten into the uh, uh, dozer excavator trucking business. In fact, I sold a whole whole lot of broodmares to buy my first semi truck. And and uh, I I used to train cutting horses. Also, uh, grew up in the cutting professional cutting horse industry. And and came home from college, trained trained uh, cutting horses for a few years as a non pro. That means that. I uh, owned fertility prospects. They uh, they actually belonged to me, and I was prepping them for either sales or small or big fertilities. 
Okay. I also should say that you have been serving as a uh, Oklahoma State Senator. You served from 2010 to 2018. Uh, you also were a field representative for uh, Senator Tom Coburn, who was a good friend to me, uh, Josh. Uh, he died, of his, as you well know. I don't even know how many years. How many years ago has he been gone? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, two years. He passed away in 2020. Yes, I, I uh, after college and like I was sharing after I was training horses and and uh, in the heavy equipment business also at that same time. Um, he needed somebody with an agricultural background. I'm a former state FFA president, Future Farmers of America. Um, and uh, so I went to work for him. Uh, had a dual purpose initially, but ended up covering a territory. And I uh, did that for six years. He made you work. Tom Coburn did. If you worked for yes. Tom Coburn, you earned uh, what what you uh, were paid. And, and so I spent six years out in the field uh, writing field reports and and he would check my spelling, Sandy. Uh, Dr. Coburn, uh, he would even he would even spell check me on those field reports. It took me a full day every week to write those field, you know reports for six years, and he would write back with like an English teacher and, and check my spelling in my reports. I believe that. Oh, let me tell people who don't who wouldn't remember. You know, we have a whole new two years as a long as a universe. You know, in our the, the way things are happening now, uh, Congressman Coburn was all over the financial, especially financial issues. In DC, uh, in DC, he would publish every year a report on pork spending. He had a name for it. I can't remember the booklet, but uh, just a, a great sense of humor. But also a doctor who practiced uh, on weekends. He would go home and practice medicine, then go back to Congress. He was uh, fearless and uncompromising. And I one more personal thing about him, uh, Josh. His uh, chief of staff, Michael Schwartz, was one of my dearest friends. He worked for me when I was president of Concerned Women for America. He left Concerned oh, Women wow. to go work for Tom Coburn. So a very close connection there. So when I saw yeah, that you Mike worked was for Tom a friend. Co- Mike was the steady <laughs> hand of our team. <laughs> yes, Mike was. Um, so this all relates because it, I'm sure he had influence on your policies and how you think. I know he had Absolutely. influence on Senator Coburn and how he thought. And um, Mike was just uh, an amazing person that I will never forget as long as I live. He still is on my mind often. Um, but pro-life leader, to- Sandy. He he was a pro-life leader. Yes, he was. Who paid a tremendous price for his pro-life views? A person that most people will never hear of. But uh, Mike w- was all out for. He lost jobs. He was very unpopular in the Catholic community, which was where he was so. You know, he went to mass every day. It was very important to him. He was—I would call him an evangelical Catholic, Michael. Mm-hmm. But uh, he paid a great price for his strong convictions. <clears throat> but let's talk about you, Josh. You are running. <clears throat> excuse me. There are things that you are close to your heart. Issues, obviously. What are they? What are they? Uh, that we are—we are teetering on on uh, uh, moral bankruptcy, uh, the moral rot in our society, uh, the lack of biblical virtue, this hypersexualized culture. Um, we are being destroyed, you know, from within because we re- refuse to, as George Washington said, uh, you know, the, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, uh, religion, and morality are indispensable supports. Um, and he went on to say in that 1796 farewell address that in vain would the man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. Um, and then dot 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 in, in you know past that point he, he says both reason and experience forbid us to expect that national morality will prevail in exclusion of religious principles and so because we set aside biblical virtue a part of that setting aside biblical virtue is not just what we see in, in a hypersexualized culture um, but it's also what we see um, with being the, the slave uh, um, as the uh, borrower. 
uh, another biblical virtue. We've bought in a society that debt is wealth, and that is what I learned from Tom Coburn when he was crying out in the wilderness, you know, um, almost 20 years ago, saying we must do something about this debt and this and this uh, fiscal bondage we're selling our kids into. Um, most people don't realize past that $30 trillion national debt, the $35 trillion hole in Medicare, which is why it's insolvent by trustee report um, within a few years, um, four, four years. And then by trustee report, Social Security, because it's got a uh, $15 to $20 trillion hole in it, it's why it's insolvent um, by 2033, 2034, 11, 12 years. And then with what we owe federal employees, with what we owe uh, veteran benefits, and then the intergovernmental debt of the different trust programs we've, we've stolen out of, um, that you know, some total liabilities of this nation is north of $120 trillion, Sandy, and most people don't know it. The United States Treasury report came out 1st of June, highlighted by the Heartland Institute, didn't make hardly any news. And the United States Treasury report said if you take all of the, the debt that we uh, have on our backs as, an, as, as a nation, uh, right now, it's 80%, that $120 trillion, it's 80% of all wealth in America. And the Treasury report said it's even down to pieces of furniture. Yeah. You know, the thing that uh, people would they'd be even more frightened if they understood how little expertise there is in Congress when it comes to financial matters. Uh, I think, you know, I remember when Dave Bratt was in, I think Dave was one of the only people. Well, that's why they looked to um, uh, Paul Ryan. Paul was supposed to be such a guru of, of money and numbers, but he turned out to be, he knew numbers, but he didn't have common sense. But um, there were very few people who really understood, you know, economics. And so I'm guessing you're telling me, Josh, that this is an area where you're going you're gonna to dig in. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I feel, you know, if it's God's plan for me to go to Washington, D.C., I feel that this is, uh, you know, a, a, to carry forward the torch that, uh, you know, that I'm accountable for what I know because of the years that I worked for Tom Coburn. And you know this is something that it's not it's not something that the learned politician runs on because we've most learned politicians learn to give away free candy in the way that you run a campaign right. and by the numbers I just described we we can't afford any more free candy or we're not going to have a nation left it's time to go on a vegetable diet um, or we will go the way of history and and Josh. you know John Adams said that said that. And we're not a democracy, Sandy, so don't misread what I'm about to say. I know about Article 4, Section 4, Republic, but uh, we're acting like a democracy. Yeah. And John Adams said, the remember, mob. democracies don't last long. They soon waste, exhaust, and murder themselves. There's never been a democracy yet that didn't commit suicide because we let finger in the air after they wet it in their mouth determine what, they, what they're going to say, what they're going to do, led by pollsters, pandering politicians. We don't address these issues because it's not popular to talk about sacrificing for the next generation. That's right. Josh, a couple of quick questions. Who do you admire most in Congress? Uh, Sandy, I, I don't know uh, personally anyone in Congress. Um, I can tell you that I admired Tom Coburn. Um, I admired a man I knew up close and personal, and I, I hope there are other Tom Coburns up there. Um, who is supporting I don't, you? I don't know. Who, who is I'm supporting sorry? you? Who are people that are endorsing you? Who's behind you? Uh, um, now, I will uh, tell you that I am super excited to have James Dobson's endorsement. I am super excited about the, the possibility to get to know Ted Cruz. Um, I've had uh, two conversations with him, and uh, just by his record, I'm super excited about you know the, the constitutional adherence element that Ted Cruz carries. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I look well, forward then, to getting to know Jim Jordan. Josh, how can, how can people help you? We're running out of time. How can people help you? Just a uh, website or something. Go to joshburkeen.com, www.joshburkeen.com. 
Okay. Um, All right. B r e c h e e n, and that's Oklahoma Second. The primary is a, a week from tomorrow. A week from tomorrow, so you have a little bit of time. Those of you in Oklahoma, to to uh, look at Josh's uh, information on his website and find out a little bit more about it. But Josh, it's really nice to meet you, and I wish you all the best. And let me just tell all of you, today's the anniversary of withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. Lieutenant Colonel Stuhl Scheller joins us next to tell his story of what happened on that day. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. If you want to know who God is, you have to learn who Jesus is, because Jesus is God's message to us of himself. Who he is in relationship to the Father, he is the image of the invisible God. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Christ Above All, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word. And we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Today, some professing Christians assert that critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality are helpful tools for the church. These people have an appearance of godliness, but their assertions deny the sufficiency of God's word to guide the church in living out the reconciliation Jesus secured for us on the cross. Make no mistake. As Paul told Timothy, the God-breathed scripture is sufficient for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those who have an appearance of godliness but deny the power of God's word for doctrine and practice must be identified and avoided. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. One of the first stops we make when we get to Jerusalem to begin our Holy Land trip, we go to the Mount of Olives, which overlooks the old city of Jerusalem. You've read about the Mount of Olives in the Bible. You've read about the city of Jerusalem in the Bible. Those are real places that we're going to visit in March of 2023. We've already registered about 50 people. We hope to take about 100 people on this very special trip to Israel. For all the information, go to twholyland.com. The dates are there. The costs are there. The itinerary is there. Everything you need to know, twholyland.com, twholyland.com. No COVID shots required. No COVID testing required. It's all back to normal. A passport and a suitcase, and you can join us. Go to TWHolyLand.com for all the information. This is Frank Efting with the Secure Freedom Minute. 
question. Did the dozens of FBI agents who rummaged through former President Trump's Florida home do something more there than remove large quantities of sensitive documents? White House official turned talk show host Sebastian Gorka told Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic show last week that a recently retired 23-year veteran of the Bureau asserted, quote, given the amount of equipment they rolled into Mar-a-Lago and the fact they spent nine hours there, he believes the Bureau planted surveillance equipment, bugs, inside the president's residence, unquote. The FBI raider's request that surveillance cameras inside Mar-a-Lago be turned off was reportedly not honored by the Secret Service. If so, an investigation into this suspicion should quickly confirm or deny whether Team Biden's efforts to get something, anything, on President Trump surpassed even the notorious Watergate break-in that drove a previous president, Richard Nixon, from office. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All I asked for was accountability of my senior leaders when there are clear, obvious mistakes that were made. I'm not saying we can take back what has been done. All I asked for was accountability for people to comment on what I said and to say, yes, mistakes were made. I think them accepting accountability would do more for service members and PTSD and struggling with purpose than any other transparent piece of paper or message. And I haven't received that. All right. Well, that was the frustrated, angry voice of Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. And you will remember that it's been a year, a year ago when we withdrew so disgracefully in Afghanistan, where 13 service members were killed. Uh, and you can imagine the agony of the men on the ground, the service people on the ground, sensing the chaos, watching that plane and people grabbing it. It was just such an embarrassment and also a tragedy for so many people that were left behind and uh, people that had helped us who were Afghans, Americans who were in various parts of the country. It was a terrible, terrible thing that President Joe Biden did and his military team, who are a disgrace to all of us. And that caused a lot of our military leaders, like the one sitting across from me, who had served for so many years, to really just have a melt meltdown. You probably a lot of meltdowns you never saw. But Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller uh, went public and actually resigned his commission after so many years of service in the military because of his experiences there. And uh, I'm happy to have him with us this morning, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Sandy. You missed that title, don't you? I bet. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia. I, I love the Marine Corps. I loved being part of the military. And everything I did was for love of service. So, yes, obviously there's days where I miss it, but I'm looking forward. I try not to look back. I made decisions that I thought were important. I think transcend my service to the military. You know, my service has always been about to the American people, to the country, leaving a better future for my children, and I still plan on doing that. You know what? You did something so courageous and meaningful. I know that you are paying a price for that, but you have every reason to hold your head high and be proud of what you did. Not ashamed. Yeah. You gave up something that you loved because you were trying to make things better, and you gave you made a sacrifice. Thought, you know, it's funny, isn't it? In our country, people think if you make a sacrifice, if it co something costs you something, that you're kind of dumb to do that. Yeah. Instead of thinking that, wow, that person was willing to give their life to give their resources their treasure they gave that up for a principle that seems foolish to some people but not here i mean there are a lot of americans that understand completely 
Colonel Stewart. To your point, so many people were confused by it. It's almost like they want to fill in a justification for everything other than you being principled in your stance. And so after, you know, this escalated after a lot of statements I made, I ended up in jail. And then after jail, I got out first week of October. I didn't make any statements until I got out of the Marine Corps Christmas Eve. And that was a really tough time for me because I, I couldn't speak illegally. And everyone had a justification. So I was fascist. I was a racist. I was an extremist. It was politically motivated. Yeah, that's right. Mental problems. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Mental breakdowns. So no one said he's doing this because he loves America and he's principled in his stance. And it was just very hard. You have to know that people knew that anyway. Look, you are kind of, I hope, now that you're making transition a little bit, that you can see that the American people, the ones who actually liberally love this country, know exactly what you were doing. Yeah. They don't have the voice. They don't have the microphones. They don't have the pins of the Washington Post, the New York Times. Uh, they don't appear on CNN. But the polls show that they get it. So you just, and also you know in your own heart that what you did, you did for the right reasons. You made a great sacrifice. You, you've shown us what manhood is really like. And just because the culture doesn't know what it means to be a man anymore yeah. doesn't mean you have to go their way. Okay, so I appreciate you saying that. And that's why, you know, I had never been to a CPAC. And uh, I'm, I'm starting to get out and go to places like this because it's been encouraging to find Americans that are like-minded, that support me, that see the world in the same way. And, you know, I, I do uh, appreciate different views and it makes me stronger when they're constructive. But that's why I'm here. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm so glad you came. You found a, a good place to land, I think. I, wa- I do want to go back a little bit. Help, help us to understand, prior to that withdrawal, it's just such a nice name for something so horrible. Yeah. Um, what were you doing in Afghanistan? Yep. So I've done five deployments, Iraq and Afghanistan included. I did a year in Afghanistan. I was My billet was actually called counter-IED team leader, so I was an infantry officer that ran with EOD and RCP. And I worked mostly on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. So most Marines are familiar with RC Southwest. Uh, but as a Marine, I was with the 101st Army in a province called Paktika. Then I moved over to Ghazni. And I had a full year of combat, um, you know, awards for, for Valor, Bronze Star, all that. And, um, you know, it, it was a very challenging deployment. Missed the birth of my first son. Mm-hmm. And uh, just poured a lot of sweat, tears into it. And, you know, my deployments really shaped my thinking. So when you're young, you know, one of the arguments was, why now? You deployed all these places, and now you're speaking up, almost trying to invalidate my comments because I was doing it because President Biden was a president, which wasn't the case. I was doing it because I gained a deeper appreciation for our missteps in foreign policy, and it got to a certain point where I knew no senior leaders would take accountability. We've developed a morally courageous, bankrupt senior leadership officer corps, and they just they don't do what they need to do. When we, when we need... A, military leaders standing for American values, we instead find these impressively dressed old men nodding yes, not doing what they should be doing. All true, yeah. And I, you know, I have some good friends in the high, in high places, that sounds so braggadocious, I don't mean it to. I have the privilege of knowing some really quality people, like you, who serve at the highest levels and are true patriots. And I ask one of them, who is a lieutenant general, is there anyone left on the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Is there anyone left in those high positions who really loves this country and is doing the right thing? And he said, no. Yeah. They've all been removed. I mean, you know, uh, Bill Clinton did terrible things to undermine the military. Remember he said, you might not even know this, he had said in his early years that he loathed the military, and he showed it by his policies. So then we, we built it back, and President Trump certainly built it back. Uh, but now we have these people in place, and they have removed you know, all the good, so many of the good people like you are leaving. Yeah. 
Well, so President Trump had a lot of great foreign policy positions and, and actually poured a lot of money into the budget. I think his misstep was hiring General Mattis. So like yes. right now, General Mattis is a lionized, but he hasn't won a single war. He went from General Dynamics to Secretary of Defense, right back to General Dynamics. Um, you know, the guy could have won the opening gambit of Afghanistan under the Task Force 58, didn't do it. When we killed Osama bin Laden, we had an off-ramp. He was a CENTCOM commander, didn't do it. And so this guy has built this reputation. But if you actually look at his success rate, uh, it's it's a dismal. And so it bothers me as a Marine that this guy has just been built up as this figure. And so I think even President Trump kind of bought into that a little bit. And you can just see how that backfired. Uh, well, he wasn't the only one. There were others who was his chief of staff who resigned. Petraeus, that's not the Trump era. But so many disappointments in those yeah. men. And so it's been it's been a long time coming. Uh, all right, so you're in Afghanistan, and here you are putting it all. You and your buddies are putting your lives on the line. I'm sure you lost friends, and many were injured and maimed, and mm-hmm. you know that's it's not a small thing. So yeah, I mean that's true. So I have you know I'm, one of my best friends in Ramadi got blown up. I uh, spent a lot of time with him, Walter Reed. You know, I carried a lot of dead bodies. That probably the, the hardest ones are the ones that are preventable. But that's all emotional stuff. So I try to remove myself from that and just look at rationally how we could have done this better. And that's what a lot of my writing is, is just from a rational perspective in the current nation state model, we just have not been effective. Since World War II, we haven't won a war defined by achieving the political objectives of the campaign. Now, we're winning every tactical battle, but our four-star generals in the scene between the National Security Council and the political objective implemented by the military, we just haven't done it. And generals have just been insulated from accountability by deflecting towards the State Department, deflecting towards politicians, or blaming the junior service member. But it's time the Americans start looking at general officers because they have holistically failed. I, I hate to ask you this, but we, we're, we're at the anniversary, uh, which is to you so personal. But Americans need to be reminded. If you could just, in a capsulated yeah. form, tell us what happened that day yep, so or during those days. The Afghanistan withdrawal slash evacuation actually considered two different military operations. There's no better example of military failure. So I'll very quickly run through it. One April... 2021, Joe Biden ordered a drawdown of military troops. General McKenzie, the theater commander, had a moral professional obligation to push back. He didn't because he doesn't have any moral courage. So he says, okay, I'll do it, even though I disagree. He drops down from 2,500 to 650 troops. Now, we did that from April to September. Everyone that's been to Afghanistan knows the Taliban hides in the mountains of Pakistan from you know, October to March. And there, So we could have done it just the other six months and been unmolested by the Taliban, but the PR date of September 11th was worth risking American lives and treasure. And again, General McKenzie goes along with it. And so when he starts drawing down military troops, he concurrently assigns a one-star general, guy's name was Farrell Sullivan, to plan the evacuation. So while McKenzie's drawing down troops, Farrell Sullivan planning the evacuation. So on 1 April, he starts that. He plans on using Bagram Air Base. This is Farrell Sullivan. And he plans all the way to the third week of June because Bagram Air Base was the key piece of terrain we needed to conduct the uh, evacuation. And then suddenly, the third week of June, General McKenzie makes a decision that 650 troops is not enough to hold the embassy, the Kabul airfield, and Bagram. And so it causes the planners to reset the plan. You know, we ended up conducting the evacuation in August. So after almost three months of planning on Bagram, they have two months until execution to now completely change the plan. And that's never actually addressed in congressional testimony. I'm telling you facts. This is in the military investigation that not a lot of people have access to. But So this is all factually laid out in there. So 
the end of June, we decided to abandon Bagram. We end up doing that the first week of July. We leave 7,000 prisoners in the prison. So imagine getting three meals a day, and then all of a sudden your prison guard just stops bringing you food. A month later, August 10th, the Taliban walks through Afghanistan completely unopposed, walks into Bagram, releases all 7,000 prisoners. We'll never know definitively. It seems pretty clear to me that the suicide bomber came from the prison. They walk up to... Kabul. So now we're at 15 August, right when General McKenzie, a day late and a dollar short, throws 5,000 troops. So he goes from 2,500 down to 650 and then throws 5,000 more back into Kabul rather than having like one coherent plan. The Marines get into firefights with the Taliban. Again, this is all documented information. We kill at least a dozen Taliban fighters. The very next day, where those Marines are told to stand post with the same people they were in shooting matches with a terrible position. Obviously, the Taliban then lets the suicide bomber through the checkpoint. He kills the 13 service members and hundreds of others at the gate. In response to that, General McKenzie conducts a drone strike, kills nothing but women and children. And then following that, they declare what an overwhelming success it was, even though there was Afghanis hanging onto the airplanes and there was no security. General Donahue, one of the senior generals that responded to that terrible situation, takes a picture of himself as he's walking to the bird as the last American, like he's some you know, tough guy. Can you imagine being one of the leaders that retreated to the, or surrendered to the Taliban, got a bunch of people killed, and then said, hey, take a picture of me because I want to look tough? Like, I can't even wrap my head around the lack of humility. And so just like through and through, complete failure, and yet not one senior general has even acknowledged, yes, we didn't do this well. And so just, you know, looking at the system can't evolve without timely, accurate assessment of failure. We don't validate the service member sacrifices if we just can't have honesty and truth. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to go through the itemized list I just gave you, which again, I'm not making up, is in the military investigation to say this was a failure. But still, we don't have leaders with the courage to do that because if they were to do that, they wouldn't get the lucrative board member positions on the oligopoly of government contracting firms that you see General Dunford, you see Secretary Austin, you see General Mattis all inhabiting. It's easier just to stay quiet and protect yourself than to protect the junior service member. You know, I just want to drill down on this. What you just described with the general taking his picture as he's leaving after having been responsible for all these deaths, that's the kind of people that are, that's the mindset. Those are the kind of people who are criticizing you. Yes. So don't let them get to you. Do you want to be like that? No. No, you don't. You're a man, your head and shoulders above those kind of people no matter what their rank and so you'll be proud of that uh, I'm, and I realize that you know still the winds blow and you have to you have to you've, you've had trouble in your personal life your yeah. family and it's just been a tragic thing but I think just don't do not yield to the temptation to to beat yourself up over that you've been a real um, example to so many people and imagine the soldiers who've looked to you uh, and look to you from afar that you've never met for what you example. The American warrior at his finest. I appreciate you. you saying that. That's you. Thank you. So I want to say that you've, I want to repeat, that you've written a book. It's coming out soon. It's called Crisis of Command, How We Lost Trust and Confidence in America's Generals and Politicians. I could have written a chapter in that book. <laughs> no, hey, yeah, I appreciate you plugging the book. So I've been... I wrote the book, uh, finished it really in April, and it just takes a weird time for books to publish. But it's actually coming out at a, at a good time, I think. You know, the anniversary of of the attacks, and quite honestly, September 11th. So it's kind of it's coming out September 6th, right in the middle of that. And my media tour on, on all the network shows will probably start right around August 25th. And you can pre-order it on Amazon. But it, I think it's a great story because it covers my 17 years uh, careers, like almost half the book. So I quickly go over my assessment of how 
I started to identify the deep systemic problems in the military. And then it goes into the real raw micro story of what I went through once I posted that first video. And it just further illustrates the hypocrisy of the system. And then I kind of end it with a punch list of how we can reform the military. Because I do believe it can be reformed. It just requires us changing leadership. And so um, I hope everyone gets a chance to read it. Cool. I mean, yeah, I hope so too. And I hope we can talk again. All right, let me tell before I let you go. Um, how about what's happening with you? Have you found? I know that your folks. You've got great parents. I've I seen do. them. <laughs> I've seen them defend you and be interviewed, which is great. I was watching all of this, even though you didn't know me. Um, but and I know that you've lost your fam- your immediate family. Your, your do you have one or two children? I have three boys. Um, so yeah, my marriage fell apart through this ordeal, and we're still on good terms. You know, I don't have anything bad to say about her, but yes, did did end up with a divorce through the ordeal. So. What's the status now? Are you employed? Are you looking for employment? Or no, I'm. My goal right now is to bring change to the military and government system. So right now, what I did when I got out of uh, the Marine Corps, I spent two months just in the media telling my side of the story because I kind of had to fight the narrative. Then I wrote a book, so that was two months. And then you know the next two months was really like stew personal time. I had to get my stuff out of personal storage and, and just kind of get my life set. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to spend the next really I'm booked starting mid August till the holidays to promote this book. And then going into 23, I'm going to assess the landscape. And there's a there's a chance I jump into politics. I don't know. I don't want to be a politician, but I just see so many shortfalls of our current politicians. And so. You know, once I kind of run this course of the journey that I'm on, if uh, once it, I decide it comes to a stopping place, I'll get a job. But right now, I just don't want to. I'm so committed to making America better for my sons that I, I don't want to stop. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I like that plan. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we wish you really the very best. And I, I what I'd like to see happen. I, I don't know. Have Have you testified before Congress? I haven't. Uh, I've got a lot of, obviously, congressional friends. Um, I'm going to meet some of them here at CPAC. Well, this is what they need to do. The Republicans of Congress need to hold a hearing with you on the anniversary of this withdrawal and let you tell this story. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, so make a note make note to self to, make that, to help you make that happen. <laughs> I appreciate that. Seriously. So um, anyway, um, I want to ask our audience who are listening to, to pray for you, for healing, for strength, uh, for your family, your parents, and also your children, your former wife, you know, just to bring healing into all of that and make you whole and equip you for that next battle because I, I don't think you're finished yet. So. Thank you, Sandy. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, we thank you so much in every way and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. I hope so. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Mm-hmm.